0: Um, I want to thank you for praying for the trip to Vancouver. It was uh, really a remarkable trip. Um, have any of you been to Vancouver? It's, it's a wonderful city. Um, you know, you're situated there between the mountains and the sound of water. Um, and 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 God just did some amazing things. There, there was this, I was telling Tom this morning about it. I've never in all these years of preaching experienced this where It was in one of the smaller sessions, so we had about 60, 70 people there, and um, I was preaching, and all of a sudden, it was like the presence of God came like a a mist or a fog. You couldn't really see it like that, but it, it felt like that, and the entire room just began to weep before the Lord in a good way, and God was moving sovereignly through this group of people to issue the grace to forgive really bad relationships, and then to also reconnect with the love of God. And it was amazing to to see that and to experience that and to know that how deeply and incredibly and powerfully God wants to invade our space. Do you believe that? Even this morning, God wants to invade our space with his love, with his grace, with his mercy. And and one of the things that I was talking about when I was there was community. It's what we're gonna talk about today. And Janie Belke, the gal that does a lot of the um, uh, set designs for the children's production, which is coming up, by the way, she does a wonderful job. She's putting together, you're going to want to watch this, because there, it's a flip chart that's going to be happening, but then it's also going to piece together, and it's all going to tie into what Brendan shared last Sunday in terms of the Fantastic Four, the vision, right? Quick quiz, can you, who can tell me the four? Wait. <laughs> the power of taking notes. Did you hear that? Annette, say them again. Discipleship community, prayer, and mission. Discipleship, community, prayer, and mission. All right, everyone get out your pads and pens. So anyhow, Janie was rendering this. And, you know, sometimes we think because we live in a city that we're actually with one another. But in Vancouver... It, it, it's, it's a lovely city but it is an incredible melting pot it's, it's the largest collection of Asian peoples in this hemisphere and um, it, it's changed radically even from 25 years ago when I was last there so we have people that are there and even in their neighborhoods they um, have this illusion of being with one another but in individual times, in, in class times, in congregational times, people would talk about how lonely they were, how they were with people, but they weren't with people. Do you know what I mean when I say that? There's a difference, isn't there? You know, right now you can be with people in the room, but are, are you with people? And so what God wants to do is He wants to set the lonely in families, and He wants to bring them into a place called Bridgewood Community Church. Our place, but this spiritual family to to give us community. And community is so critical because, as much as we always want to be with God, there are some times where we can't get to be with God without each other. Is this not true? Times where you need people to come around you. Either the burden you have is too big, or there could be all kinds of different reasons where you get, in a sense, paralyzed, and you need people to bring you into the presence of God. Amen? So there's a a wonderful story about exactly what happens in biblical community in Luke 5. If you have your Bibles open there, we're going to read the text, and then we're just going to take out some pieces that um, seem to be important for us to think about right now at Bridgewood Community Church. Luke 5, verse 17 through 26. Here we go. One day, Jesus was teaching, and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there. Of course they were. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. That's interesting, isn't it? The power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Lord, do that this morning. Verse 18. Some men carried a paralyzed man on a mat, And they tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. See, he couldn't get there on his own. Verse 19. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and they lowered him on his mat through the tiles in the middle of the crowd. Sorry, I was trying to set my watch. I got it. Because, you know, we're running an hour short. I don't want anyone falling asleep on me. Okay, so they're lowering this guy down. Verse 20, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Yes, pay attention, Pharisees. Verse 22, Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately, he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. And they were filled with awe and said, we've seen remarkable things today. No doubt, right? That's remarkable. I want us to think for a moment about this paralyzed man. I mean, his whole life has lived on this mat, maybe three, four feet long, two feet wide. Someone has to feed him. Someone has to carry him around if he's going to get anywhere. Someone has to clothe him. Someone has to move him if a storm comes. Someone has to clean himself when he goes to the bathroom and help him with that. I mean, I, I don't know. It, how you guys do, but when I had my hips replaced and my surgeries, I hated it. Having to lay there and have someone take care of you was really humbling. Is that not true? It's like, ah, I can't wait till this part's over. And this man lives that way. I mean, sometimes maybe he daydreams about being able to move like other people move, to eat like other people eat, to relate like other people relate, and then he wakes up and realizes I'm trapped in my body. It's an incredibly challenging thing. But he must have carried it in a really gracious way. You know, I started thinking about this guy. And I thought, why why would these four people be so committed to him? There must have been something in the way that he carried this infirmity, this thing. And, you know, when you hear G- Johnny Erickson Tata, how, do you know who I'm talking about? So, sometimes when you hear it, it's like, wow, I wish I was paralyzed. I mean, it, she is so free and so clear and so close to God. And you can meet people like this. Maybe you have. When I was at St. Olaf working as a head resident there was a guy who was born with um, just little appendages, not full arms. Betsy remembers this guy because she was a lifeguard and he came in and, and, and she was there at the pool lifeguarding and in walks a man with really no arms and all of a sudden jumps in the pool it's kind of a lifeguard alarm. But he, this guy was a remarkable Christian young man. The first time that I, I had the pleasure of meeting him, I, I walked up and he, I got introduced to him. And, it, you know, just out of on autopilot, I dumbly reached my hand towards him. And you know what he did? He graciously raised his right foot and shook my hand with his foot. And then he proceeded to grab a fork with his toes and feed himself. Try not to stare at that. I mean, I was like, wow. But what was interesting about this guy was that he was so open. He was carrying this paralysis, this handicap, this limitation in a way that was very gracious and very engaging. He, he did not take any offense to the fact that I reached to shake his hand. He understood. And, and you just, you watch this guy and the liberty he has. And, you know, I'm thinking about sometimes how much easier it is when you've got something that you just have to reckon with because all of us have some kind of paralysis. All of us have something that is a handicap to us, that we feel frozen by, stuck by, locked in. And sometimes risking bringing that paralysis out into the open is so scary. And sometimes when it's just obvious to the world, it's easier just to get it out there. But as we talk, I really want you to think about what are the things in your life that paralyze you? Because we must choose to let them be known. We've got to risk putting them out there. Whether it's, I've got a problem with anger. I struggle with anxiety. I have an addiction. I'm hurt. I'm rejected. But somehow, this man in his life risk putting himself out there in a way where he connected with at least four incredible individuals you talk about a killer small group this is the group of groups this is the historical champion of small groups you can call it a cell group a life group or home group whatever you want to call it he had it and what's amazing to me is that for all that he couldn't do for all that he didn't have he didn't have money He didn't have fame. He didn't have influence. He didn't have mobility. But he had the most essential thing to living a free and full life. He had friends. Real, living, breathing, caring friends. And isn't that what our souls starve for, yearn for? We go about in this In this world, and and when we don't have the connection that we're wired to have, we feel disoriented, we feel disconnected, we feel disgruntled. In fact, Robert Putnam, who wrote the book Bowling Alone, if you like to read, read it. It's a fantastic book. He says, without a small group of real friends, you die years earlier than you should. Your life is very much less likely to be happy And stress hounds you like a vampire. And the single way to change that around is get some good friends. That's what Putnam keeps preaching. And it's why when you have some good friends, you die for them. You go to the wall for them. You give your all for them because they're really hard to find, aren't they? Tim Keller says it this way. He says, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. Let me say it again. To be loved but not known, in other words, you don't show your paralysis, is comforting but it's superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. Boy, that's true, isn't it? But to be fully known and truly loved as well, it's a lot like being loved by God. That's what we crave in community. Could I just have a sample of that? And it's exactly what happens in the story, and it's exactly what God wants to have happen in the story with us here at Bridgewood. So the one thing that I would add to Tim's thoughts is kind of borrowing a phrase from a bumper sticker, that real friends don't let friends be paralyzed. These guys had it on their camel bumper, So when they moved around in Israel, these guys had a heart. They said, we're not going to let our friend be paralyzed. We're going to move him when he needs to move. We're going to feed him when he needs to be fed. We're going to care for him when he needs care. We're going to do this. And you know, in our world, and, and this is true talking to people in Vancouver, as we move along, we sometimes think when people are friendly to us, that they're our friends. But that's different, isn't it? I had a phone call not too long ago from someone who was very friendly. And they wanted to sell me a little vacation condo. They were exceedingly friendly. But the minute that I declined, they were not my friend. The conversation was over. You get my drift, right? There's a big difference. Real friends pick you up. They stir you up. They move you up. They take you to where you need to go. And these guys were real, committed, genuine friends. Because we know from the scripture that we just read that they're ready to take him to Jesus this is not convenient. Who knows what they had going on that day? But they canceled it. And not only did they cancel it, they decided even in the heat of day, we're going to go get this guy. and We're going to drag him along, carry him along these roads that aren't so good. Their potholes are even worse than our potholes here in Minnesota, believe it or not. But the real amazing thing about these friends is they're identifying with the sick person, which in, in this ancient Near Middle East, when you do that, you're, you're identifying with bad stuff. You see, the way theology worked for them is if you had bad things happen to you, it's because there's something bad about you. Which is why people were always cast out, put out, set out, and kept apart. It's why the Pharisees went nuts when Jesus would go sit with them, because it blew every circuit in their mind. Why are you identifying with broken people? Don't you know they're bad? It's why Jesus says, don't you know that I've come to heal? Don't you know that? These guys identify. And amazingly to me, probably the paramount thing is that they risk forfeiting their opportunity to see Jesus themselves for the sake of their friend. But I want you to realize and see this. That if we are really going to do community as community is meant to be, it is not going to be convenient. There is nothing convenient about it whatsoever. It simply is not. My grandma Margie lived to be 90, almost 99. She was a fabulous lady. Think about it for a minute people. How much has transpired in 100 years? She saw in their neighborhood the first. Light bulb gets screwed in and light, and the whole neighborhood was there to watch it and just go, woo, like Fourth of July fireworks. But the favorite stories that we would g- ask grandma to tell were stories from during the depression. And strangely, grandma would say she missed the depression. Blow your mind. Grandma, why would you miss the depression? She said, because everybody had nothing, but at least we had everybody together. And in Vancouver, they're immensely wealthy. I mean, the average household income is, is in Vancouver is over 100k. Now there is some impoverished people, but there is very wealthy people, but they're incredibly lonely. And I think the reason they're incredibly lonely is because it's not incredibly convenient to make deep friendships. When we first came to plant the church and we were moved to Shoreview, a tornado came through. This was back in '96 or '97. You guys remember that Shoreview tornado? And it just missed our neighborhood, but it took down a lot of trees in the neighborhood right next to us. So we went out to help clean up and just do whatever we could do. So the, our little Harvest Community Church is out helping, and I'm helping this one guy. He's clearing branches, and then his his neighbor comes out, and when he sees his neighbor, you know, he says, "Hey, I'll say Ralph. I can't remember his name. Hey, Ralph." And they're they're connecting. They seem like they were old friends. And I said, how long have you known Ralph? And he shook his head and he wiped the sweat from his forehead and he said, I'm sad to say, actually I'm ashamed to say, that I've lived next to him for 15 years and have never really met him. It took a tornado to bring you together and you live right next door? And sometimes we need something to shake us up, wake us up, move us towards what real community is all about. Alan McGinnis talks about community and relationships, and he says, listen, I'm just going to cut to the chase. There's really only one thing you need to do to develop deep community, deep relationships. Here it is. Buckle up. Assign top priority to relationships, period. Assign top priority. That means up here. (laughs) And usually what we do is we assign top priority to making money, getting the errands done, running the kids over here, running here, doing that, doing all these things. And we say, when I get those done, then I'll invest in relationships. But McGinnis wisely says, no, do relationships first. One of the most countercultural statements in Scripture is the description of the early church. It remains to be one of the markers that really demonstrates whether or not church is church. This is what they said. They met together together Daily. They met together daily? Yes. Was it convenient? No. Was it easy? No. Was it worth it? Yes. Daily. Many people lack great friendships for the simple reason that they do not move past the inconvenience of getting to know one another. And we've got to. These guys do, they're committed. When you look at Luke five 19, they've made the thing. They've staked the commitment. They've stepped into the inconvenient. They've moved this man there. And when they get there, all of a sudden, there's no room at the end. Have you ever rushed to get someplace when you get there and you go, oh, no. Look at the line. When I got the job at Anderson Windows, I was told you're going to have to sleep overnight to get in line there. I thought that's crazy, but I'll do it. So I went there, and I thought I was being really good by getting there at 8 o'clock at night. Do you realize when I got there at 8 o'clock at night, there were 31 people already ahead of me, prepared to sleep overnight? They were ready to do the inconvenient. Anyhow, they walk in, they see that it's packed. There's just no way. They're beyond fire code in this little Capernaum home. For a moment, they're paralyzed. They don't know what to do. I, at this point in the story, I wondered, I wondered if this guy's just indomitable spirit spoke to them. Because somehow he didn't quit. It, it's, I, I wonder if that inspired them. Anyhow, they, they, they do a quick huddle. The four of them get in a huddle. And they say, okay, guys, no idea is dumb. Let's think, think, think. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And some guy, kind of like a Mark Samora, I imagine, goes, man, we could rip off the roof lower him down, dude. (laughs) Far out, Mark. Anyone else got like another idea? No other ideas. All right, Samora, you in. Let's go do it. And they go up on this roof. To tear, tear off the roof. And, and now keep, keep in mind, this, this, this roof is different than ours. It's not shingled and that kind of thing. It's got wide beams running out there, so you could fall through the roof. And many of the, the picture Bibles and many of the cartoons will, will show this house has this nice little stairway to the roof. That's not true. They don't have that. That'd be like an invitation to burglars dropping in through your roof. It's why you don't leave a ladder up. In an open window in your house. So they're not doing that. This was not convenient. They go up. You know the story. They begin to tear off this roof. And then they lower them down. And then verse 20. It's a, this is marvelous. When Jesus saw their faith. As they lower him down. He, he sees this. And I started thinking when he saw their faith, you see, it's not enough for us to talk about community. It's not enough for us to dream about it. It's not enough for us to discuss it. We've got to do it. Jesus wants to see it. We've got to put our good intentions to work. And oftentimes, it's, it's really not as inconvenient as we think it might be. A lot of times, building community and relationships is nothing more than just noticing and doing. You notice someone's carrying a lot of stuff in. Can I help you? You notice someone's down in the cafe, and you think, I should send them a card. So you do. Or you notice you haven't seen some for a while, and you think, I should call them. So you do. You realize that you've said for the last four Sundays in a row, we should get together for coffee. So you do. And when you do that, Jesus loves to see that faith at work. And what's interesting in the story is there's some people that have this free-flowing faith, especially these guys that lower their friend down. But there's also some in the crowd that seem to have this free-flowing skepticism. And the story speaks to us and invites us to think about who am I in the story? Who will I be? Will I have free-flowing faith when it comes to community? Or will I let the bondages and the hurts and the disappointments of the past? Because I know I'm old, you guys. I've got my own nightmarish stories about small groups. In fact, the worst one was one time when Betsy and I used to do these marriage groups, ten weeks to a better marriage. We had so many people signed up that we decided, okay, we'll do we'll do two in one week. And so we did Monday and Wednesday. Remember this, honey? Monday was the group from heaven. It was the all-time. I mean, if I was paralyzed, they would carry me. They were so beautiful. And they would, it's It was one of those groups where these miracles would happen Monday after Monday after Monday where couples would be sharing stories and they were connecting and they were falling deeper in love and you're like, la, 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 this is awesome. And Wednesday was the small group from hell. It was unbelievable. I mean, it's like we should have been playing eerie music to set the stage. We had couples that would stand up and argue right in front of us and they wouldn't stop. I'd be going... Okay, great meeting. We'll see you next Wednesday. You know, and they just keep going. So I've, I've had them. You've had them, right? We've all had them. But Jesus says to us, will you trust me? Will you exercise new faith? Will you trust me? Because I've got this thing that I said to my original students, and I'm saying it to you again. It's this thing. He says, I've got a new command. Do you remember this new command? Love one another, even as I've loved you. Got us. We have to exercise new faith. But I also started to think about how interesting it was that Jesus was able to hear their heart, right? Because these guys are oh, who is this guy to be forgiving people? Does he think he's God? Well, quite frankly, he does. Actually, he knows he's God and he picks up because they're not expressing it. It's something in their heart. And they thought, wow. As I read that, I thought, oh, he knows what's going on in my heart right now. You ever have those? And then, you know, so for the next two hours, I was super careful. Then I kind of drifted from the real clear reality that he knows what's going on in my heart. But he does. That's why the psalmist says, you know, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. So, He hears our heart. Now, this is important when it comes to exercising faith. Because when it comes to starting new relationships, being with one another, I think there's three big paralysis that hit us. Three big ones. Here they are. The first thing that paralyzes me is, I'm weird. I am weird. I kind of know it. And there's certain parts of my weirdness I like. But then there's other parts of my weirdness I don't want anyone else to see. Like I'm super fuzzy. <laughs> you know? <laughs> super fuzzy. I mean fuzzy, like really. I know everyone's freaking out like this is too weird for us, Mark. But I'm so fuzzy, so I'm self-conscious to jump in a pool without my shirt on. Because this looks like there's an ape in the pool. Get a gun. I know that's, that's TMI, it's too much information. But I'm just trying to be real with you that I know it's kind of like this weird thing that I got and I, I don't know if I want to be found out, but now everyone knows, so let's go swimming. But isn't that, that is part of our struggle is that we go into these rooms where we're going to make new friends, be with one another, and we, we go, I'm weird. Hope they don't find out. And then the second thing is almost even more incredibly troubling to us. You're weird. I'm used to my weirdness, but when I get to find out your weirdness is like, "Wow!" And I, you, know, you go home, it's like, "Wow, Betsy, I thought I was weird. Did you hear that?" You know And so, But that's part of community. It's like we're all weird together in Jesus. And, and when we come together to do relationships in community, that's what makes the third thing happen. It feels weird. Fair enough? Because I'm weird, and you're weird, and so this relating that happens feels weird. We just got to be real about that. But see, Jesus knows our inner conversations. And that's what faith is all about is, Lord, knowing I'm fearful and walking into this situation because I'm a little weird, and I suspect they're a little weird, and this just plain feels weird, Jesus goes, I am with you, let's go. That's why he says, even as I've loved you now, now, love one another. Because it's only faith that propels us through. That's why Paul says the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. It's the only thing that counts. It's the only thing that works. If Jesus saw their faith, the question is, will he see ours, right? Will he see us walking across the room, knowing that we're weird, they're weird, and this feels weird, but Jesus, you're sending me. And tied to this thing is is what Jesus says to the paralytic, and he says it to us this morning, it's so important. Because yes, we're weird, but we're not broken. He says, when he sees their faith, the first thing he says to the paralytic is, friend, interesting, he said friend, friend your sins are forgiven. He starts there. see, practically, Jesus is reinstating him because everyone in the community thought the reason this guy's crippled is he's bad. He's a sinner. He deserves it. So Jesus is saying publicly, no, he's free. He's forgiven. It's also a radical move because Jesus knows they're going to recognize, ha-ha, this guy thinks he's God. So he's about to show him, yes, I am. In fact, for your entertainment today, I'm going to say to this paralytic, get up and walk. And he's going to. Just to help you out a little bit. But I want us to think for a moment the freedom of forgiveness, real forgiveness. It's so key to relationships because so many of us carry around so much shame. We walk around the planet like Cain, exiled from each other. We'd love to start a killer small group but we're terrified that we could be found out. In fact, psychologist Henry Cloud tells one fellowship that was emerging, and interesting enough, in this group, they were struggling with sex addiction, and one of the members was a pastor who we'll call Joe. and Joe was a good pastor in many respects. but here he was in this setting where Unbelievably, he was identified as a sex addict. He's in this group. He can't believe it's happening. And he was going through the, pro- the program. And one morning when the group was gathering, the nurse came and told Henry that Joe wasn't coming. So Henry went to talk to him. And he said, Joe, you need to come to group. I can't, he said. I can help these other guys, but I can't help myself. Why? Because I slipped last night. I looked at something that I shouldn't have looked at. And one look led to another look. And I was right back to where I started from. I can't face them. I can't. Henry said, today you will face them. Get up and come with me. You see, sometimes you can't get to God because you're paralyzed. And Joe was paralyzed. So Henry says, come with me. Sits him down. Shockingly, he says, Group, Joe would like to talk to us. Joe took a deep breath. He needed to realize that Jesus was there. He needed to trust that Jesus could somehow lead him through this. And slowly, he began to recount what had happened to him. And as he said more and more and more, he felt just a little bit freer. And then Henry stopped him and he said, Joe, I want you to look up, look at the group. Because he was recounting, just like you'd imagine him, staring straight down at his toes. He said, I can't. I'm ashamed. He said, Joe, look up at the group now. When he looked up, there was not a dry eye in the group. Everyone was leaning forward and every face said, I will stand with you. I will carry you. I am with you. Cloud says, that was the day that Joe's addiction was broken. That was the day that everything changed. That was the day where he was set free. You see, one man says it this way, it takes people to make people sick, but it also takes people to make them well. Bridgewood, can we do it? Will we do it? I vote yes. Don't miss the key to the whole thing. The story's not the story if there's not four guys who insist on taking this paralyzed man. Four guys who stop, carry him, move him, don't say, Um, We can't get them in, so I guess it's over with. They tear the roof off. And for us to get to the place where we're with God in a way that we're with one another, we simply have to be insistent and committed to sometimes tearing off the roof to get at one another. Right? Digging in, doing what really matters. It's the most important thing. In the end, there will not be an accelerated line into the glory of the Lamb of God, into the house of God. There will not be this accelerated line for all of you who finished your to-do list in so many consecutive days. Who had the, the uh, the, uh, uh, the merits of promotions that were yearly. The biggest house, the biggest car. No. I think there'll be one line, and at the end of the line, there's the Savior, and the Savior says this. Did you learn to love even as I commanded? Did you? So, I applaud the Fantastic Four. I say, let's do community. It won't be easy. You guys already know I'm weird. (laughs) I'd like to find out some ways that you're weird (laughs) so we can be weird together. And when we are, healing happens. The freest people are the people who are found out but also found in. Amen. Would you pray? Lord, we thank you so much that you are about tearing off our roofs. And, and yet you say, now, in, in the way that I love, I, I want you to love. I want you to to do this. And so, as we get ready to do our offering this morning, we have lots to offer you. I pray that we'd pause and we'd really check in about where is our heart? What's the conversation in our heart when it comes to thinking, let's do relationships again? Let's try it again? Or when we look at, you know what, I am weird. Or, I don't know, people are weird. Or, it just feels so weird. Whatever that is, Lord, would you tear through the roof of that? Or would you drop in? Even now as we do our offering and as we worship, move in our heart, set us free, and help us to walk the way you want us to walk. In your name we pray. Amen.